Hello, and welcome to Found, TechCrunch's podcast that brings you the stories behind the startups from the folks that are building them. It's me, your host, Becca Skutak, and I am thankfully joined again by the lovely Dominic Midori Davis. Dom, how's it going? You know, I'm hanging in there. What about you? Yeah, I feel like I'm hanging in there too. I'm excited about today's episode, though. Me too. Today, we have a super fun guest on. We have B. Dixon, the co-founder and CEO of The Honeypot, which is a company that makes plant-based vaginal wellness products. And I've been following this company for a while, so super stoked to talk to her and learn more about the business. And before we begin, as always, we have our two truths and a lie. So listen carefully to see which one of these statements is the lie. All right. Is it that Beatrice's grandmother came to her in a dream and gave her a list of ingredients that would become the normal wash, or that Bea kept her full-time job until the honeypot was picked up by Whole Foods, or is the lie that honeypot was launched at a hair show? Ooh, all of those sound interesting. So, dear listeners, continue on to the rest of the episode to find out which one is true. Here's our conversation with Bea. Hey, B, how's it going? Good. How are y'all doing? Oh, you know, middle of winter. Try not to complain. Thanks for coming on the show. No, for sure. Where are you guys based at? We are both in New York, different parts of New York City, but both in the city. Oh, dope. Okay. And you guys are down in Atlanta, right? Yes, the the business is based out of Atlanta, yes. Well, since you mentioned the business, which is the exact reason we have you on today, why don't we jump off from there? Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about Honeypot? So Honeypot is the first plant-based personal care system on the market that's founded and based in herbs. We are a company that loves and has the most beautiful relationships with our customers. Do you want me to give you a little background on Honeypot and how we got started? That was going to be my next question. Okay, so that great. would be perfect. Great, great, great. So the way that we got started is back in 2012, I had an almost year-long bout with bacterial vaginosis where it would go away and come back every single month. When I got my period, it was terrible. But yeah, every single month after I got my cycle, I would get BV, right? And I'd go to the doctor and they'd give me flagell or they'd give me clindamycin. They would basically just give me antibiotics, right? Nothing ever worked. And eventually, while I was doing that, I was also kind of trying to find my own remedy. So I would go on Google, I'd go on Google forums, I would talk to people about what they were doing to solve their problem because a lot of those people were going through reoccurring yeast or reoccurring BV, reoccurring UTIs, you know, but nothing worked because Google is not where you want to go when something's going on with your vagina, right? We all know that. Right. You shouldn't go to Google anyway for anything. But in this particular instance, I was desperate. I just needed to find comfort because the type of BV that I had had a really strong odor had a lot of discharge. I'm giving you details because I think that it's important because there's so many humans that go through this every single day. Right. Until one day, my grandmother came to me and met me in a dream. And it to call it a dream isn't giving it the right respect, but the best words for it would be to call it a dream. And she told me that she was walking with me and that she was seeing me struggle and that she knew how to solve my problem. And, you know, my grandmother passed away when my mother was seven. So I never physically met her in this life, right, outside of this moment. And she handed me a piece of paper and it had a list of ingredients on it. And she told me that this would solve my problem. And so, you know, in the dream, I just started repeating the ingredients over and over again until she finally told me to wake up 
you know, and I woke up and I woke up literally saying coconut oil, apple cider vinegar, lavender, rose. Like I woke up saying these ingredients. I wrote it down. I worked at Whole Foods. I went to work. I bought all the stuff. I came back. I made myself a formula. I started using it right away. I didn't know what even what it what it would end up being, but it ended up being foamy. It had a saponification to it. And so I used it as a wash in the shower. Um, and that is what is now our normal wash. But, you know, within four or five days, it went away because I had BV at the time. And so I figured the moment that I realized that it worked for me, that was the moment that I said that this is what I would do now, you know, and that's how Honey Pot was born. Oh, that's so interesting. What about the ingredients worked? Like, what's the science behind those three ingredients? The funny thing, it's more, it was more than three. It was like seven or eight at that time. You know, things have changed a little bit by now, you know, but... The funny thing is a lot of those ingredients that I was using, I was using them individually, mm-hmm. right? Like, and when you're dealing with this and you're like me, I was doing silly things. Like I remember one time and it, it's not that it doesn't work actually, but you just have to be conscientious. I wrapped a piece of garlic in cheesecloth and put that inside of my body, right? It helped. Oh my. It gave me a little bit of relief, right? Because the garlic has antibacterial qualities to it. Only... You know, you got to be careful what you're putting inside your body, right? There was another time that I used, I would make myself a douche. And you don't need to be douching. But again, douching is not something that we should do with our bodies if you have a vagina, because your vagina knows how to clean itself, which is the vagina's inside the body, right? So a lot of the ingredients that my grandmother gave me, some of these things I was already doing singularly, but I think the power in them came when you mixed everything together, because then it became like a potion and all of the plant derived ingredients. It was kind of like they were, it was like medicine because plants can really be healing. Herbs can really be healing. When they came together, they just worked beautifully. And I'm curious if you could talk about kind of like what it was like going from that realization that yes, this works. This is something like you said, this is what you want to do next. What was it like then starting a company around it? Like, did you ever think you would start a company like this? I honestly, for a little while, because when I first started working at Whole Foods, like the first year, I had already had a business of my own. I had a cleaning business before Honey Pot. So I had a little bit of an entrepreneurial, not a little bit, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. And when I started working at Whole Foods, because this was back in like the heyday of Whole Foods, you know, They had reps that would come in and sell their products or brands would come in and talk to you about their stuff and what they do and why they do it. And after meeting a lot of those people, I was like, damn, I I wish I could do something like that, you know? But I didn't know that it would turn out to be this. You know what I mean? Right. But I will say, once I made the decision that I wanted to do this, and this would basically map out to be my life's work, the little seed that it planted When I was thinking about things I would want to do with my life, it was really able to bloom. But I never was like, I want to be in the vagina business. Like I want to make vaginal care. Like it wasn't ever as as specific as this. But I think when I made the decision to do it, it was just a very easy thing to do, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like an easy decision when you know how important it is and you have this mission behind it and have the spirit, of course, to start a business to begin with. And when there's such a white space. And by the way, like I didn't know anything about white space analysis or I didn't know anything about anything about any of that. 
But I just knew that while I had been going through what I had been going through and from the people that I was meeting, because I was meeting people who were suffering from BV for eight, nine years. You understand what I'm saying? There's people that suffer that way, you know, and I knew that there just wasn't anything that was solving any of our problems. And so it was like, well, if this could work for me, then maybe it could work for other people. But we didn't just go right to let's start a business and let's start selling product. That wasn't what we did. We actually would make product and give it away because we're, we very much are a test and learn type of a business. And so we would do that. And we did that for almost a year or a year and a half. And then once we saw that people were having the same results, because our thing was, don't pay us anything, just tell us how it works, right? And then eventually our customers were like, girl, I can't just keep taking this for free. Like, I need to give you something. And so that was kind of when we knew that it was time, when people wanted to pay for it. It wasn't like we were asking them to. Right. And then we got the opportunity to go to the Bronner Brothers Hair Show, and that's where we launched our products. And it's funny because within three days, we sold 600 bottles of wash, which is insane wow. when you think about it. But that's how we knew we had something because people would buy. First of all, they couldn't believe that there was a vaginal hygiene brand at a hair show because that's not something that you see every day. And then they would go home, they used it, and then people would come back the next day with their friends and their family. You know, husbands were coming and buying it for their wives. Like it was crazy. And, and it, it just was a beautiful journey that just kind of it continues to be a beautiful journey that just flows, you know? And I know we have a lot of founders on sometimes to talk about the concept of like product market fit and how we see time and time and again, companies get funded who don't have that. But right. what you're saying is like, you guys hadn't fully even launched it. You go somewhere and it's like, you're selling out. People are bringing their friends. People yep. are coming back. Like what, a, there's no clearer way to find that out. Right. And where did it go from there of having this super successful launch at this event and then taking it into the company that you guys have grown it to today? Honestly, we would just do the same thing. Because when you're at one hair show, they're selling you for the next one. And the next one might be like, that was the Bronner Brothers hair show. The next one might be like the Talia Waheed natural hair show or the ubiquitous show in DC or whatever. That became a way that we would we would use that as a really strong marketing vehicle for us because it gave us the opportunity to meet with hundreds or thousands of people in just a matter of a few days. And then we launched a website, you know, and then we got into Whole Foods. We weren't in a lot of Whole Foods. We were only in like one Whole Foods, but that didn't matter because we could say we were in Whole Foods, you know. And then I left Whole Foods and became a broker, which meant that I was like the middleman between the person that buys at the store and the brand, right? I represented brands and I would sell them in. So then what I would do is I would, I would essentially go into the stores. I'd sell them what I came to sell them for my job. And then I would walk out of the door. I'd go get my honeypot stuff and I'd go right back in and I'd sell them my honeypot stuff. Or I would give it away to them for free. I would just say, look, I'll give you three or four of these or six of these. If it doesn't work, then we can forget about it. I won't talk to you again. But if it does, then you can place an order with me next week. You know, and that was the way that we started just getting kind of into the Southeast. And then you just iterate and it just grows and grows from there. And the more you do it, the more you learn, the more you learn how to do it. You learn what not to do. You learn the mistakes you make. Like it's an iterative process. 
And when did you know it was the right time to, it sounds like you were obviously doing this at the same time as another job. When did you know it was the right time to kind of go full time with Honeypot? I know that's like a decision that founders kind of always struggle with, especially when they get started with something else going on. I didn't stop. I and we, because I have other co-founders, I didn't stop working full time until we were six months into Target, which is insane. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. It was crazy. But, you know, so from 2012 to 2017, so five years. But Honeypot needed to be able to pay me what my salary was paying me, probably plus a little bit more without any problem. Because what I didn't want to do is quit and then something happens and then things go bad one month or something. And then I've quit my job. We needed to be without a shadow of a doubt. And I needed to be in a place where, you know, not not everybody believes in this, but like my brother conditioned me this way. When you absolutely are at, like when you are just tapped out, like when all of your resources have been pulled and you can't do anything else, that's the time to go to the next level, right? Like Mm. when it came to raising money, when it came to quitting, working a full-time job and doing honeypot, I was in the place where it was like, there was no way possible to keep doing that because I didn't want to take food out of honeypot's mouth. When you were going around and giving your product to people, were you surprised to see how little people knew about, I guess, vaginal care and even the the existing chemicals that are in a lot of vaginal care products now? Because I remember me and my friend, we were talking about how sanitary products here in the U.S. are kind of different than in Europe and how the ingredients are different. Did you find that when you were talking to people that people might not know what's in our vaginal products right now? Yeah, a lot of people don't know, but we weren't conditioned to know, you know, like when you think of vaginal care, it's very much an oral tradition, right? We typically do what our mommies told us to do, our auntie or whoever was the person that gave us the wisdom, right? You you get your period, you know, hopefully you had your mother or you had your, or you had your dad or you had some sort of family member or friend. And some people don't have that at all. But in the instances, for example, when it was somebody that you knew, you typically used whatever they told you to use or whatever they used. You know what I'm saying? People really thinking about, and I'm not saying everybody, I'm just being general right now, but people really thinking about ingredients and what's in them and what they do to you and all that stuff, that has really happened in the past, call it like 10, 12 years where people have, I mean, and I mean like the masses of people, not the people who shop in health food stores and stuff like that. But I feel like where we are today is different than where we are. Like when I was a kid, like when I was a kid, you know, I'm 41. When I was a kid and I remember when I got my period, my mom gave me maxi pads. They weren't even like always or anything. (laughs) They were like this thick, (laughs) didn't have any wings. You know what I'm saying? You know, I used like bar soap. She taught me how to douche because the era that she came from, that's what you did. You know what I'm saying? And then she was like, every six months, you can put in a Norform, which is like a suppository that kind of does something similar to what a douche does. Like a lot of these things aren't even on the market anymore. You understand what I'm saying? So that's why when my coochie was acting up, that's why... I didn't know what the hell to do. Like I was turning to all kinds of things. I was using Bronner soap at one point, not even knowing 
that I was throwing my pH so far off that it didn't even have a chance. You understand what I'm saying? So like, no, it's not it's not surprising to me because nobody was talking about that. We just were not conditioned to have this conversation. Right. You know, and and that's a part of our mission. Our mission is to formulate a more transparent world. Right. But like the reason why that's our mission is so that we can be having these conversations. Because when you think about what's in conventional menstrual care or even what's in conventional vulva washes or vulva care, you know, the ingredient decks can be astounding. I never speak against our competitors because I have a lot of respect for them because they really created the industry for Honeypot to be able to exist in, to provide a bit more better for you, cleaner, efficacious, clinically tested line of products, right? But yeah, I mean, it it doesn't surprise me when people don't know just because we haven't been conditioned to know. Now, this is a more commonplace conversation. We can have we can talk about this all day. But like back in 2014, 2015, you couldn't just talk about this. <laughs> you know what I mean? You I wouldn't be on a podcast talking about my vaginas. Not that I wouldn't be willing to do it, but nobody was hitting us up to do that. And so I, you know, I I think it's a reflection of the times. I think it's a reflection of this generation. I think it's a, a reflection of the work that Honeypot and Cora and Lola and all of us have really created when we created this better for you market, right? Because it took all of us to do it. It, it isn't just a Honeypot thing. All of the clean, better for you vaginal care brands that are on the market, we did this shit together. We really created something really beautiful for us to be having this conversation right now. But long answer for no, it doesn't surprise me. And I, and I don't judge anybody because first of all, the goal is for these conversations to be easier, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for every human that you're having it with because every human has a certain type of experience with their journey, with their vagina, with their trauma, with their body. And the beauty is in helping them to get a little more, more, more and more comfortable with that every day. And did you bootstrap this company all the way through or did you take investor money? We bootstrapped until we were getting into Target because Simon, one of my co-founders, his thing was, let's again, like I explained to you earlier, we, I would always say to Cy, bro, we need to raise some money. We need to raise some money. And he'd always be like, B, it's not time to raise no money, right? Like we're struggling. We're trying, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul to get all this stuff done because we started to pop a little bit. You know, we went from like making like 30,000 to making like 240,000. And you have to understand, I had never seen that amount of money in my life, right? He had because he had been in accounting and he had his own accounting business and all this stuff. It wasn't that he was saying that what we do, what we're, we're doing wasn't working and, and that it didn't require funding. But his thing was, is we need to have a real thing that we're solving for to get funding. And so when we got into Target, that was when he was like, okay, it's hammer time. Let's go. And so we did a family and friends round. And then we did a seed round with New Voices Fund. And then we did a round with VMG. And then now we just did this last round with Cody and or better called Compass Diversified. Yeah, because I was going to ask, since you were so early to this market, how investors would have responded to you pitching this idea to them way back then. But I guess like family and friends round and then Series A after Target. What was conversations with Target like, early conversations? Oh, it was amazing. Conversations with Target was amazing. 
And we were very lucky because they reached out to us, hmm. you know, um, and the, it's funny the way that our buyer then found out about us is she went to get her hair done and where did her hairdresser meet us at a hair show, you know? And so she, they were talking about her new job and she told her about Honeypot. And so literally Monique just reached out through our support email. It wasn't like when they reach out, they're not saying we're going to put you in our store, but they're like, we want to learn more about what you're doing. But they were really great. And it, and it was dope because Monique got to be such a part of the process because we were literally, we literally, if you saw what the brand looked like before we got into Target, it wasn't that it wasn't cute. It was cute, but it just wasn't like Target. You know what I'm saying? And so we were able to iterate with her and show her the branding and show her the packaging. And they became very much a part of who Honeypot is at the scale that you kind of see us at at this point. You know, it was it was incredible. Target has been a beautiful, amazing, incredible partner, innovation partner. <laughs> they helped us to grow. They've invested a lot in us. It's, it, it's been beautiful working with Target. More from this conversation right after a quick break. And I know you guys have recently announced an acquisition for the company. So definitely want to chat about that. Yeah. What was the lead up to that? Was that always on your mind that you guys would potentially be an acquisition target or how did that all like come together? See, I, I wouldn't call it an acquisition. Mm. We just recently went into a partnership with Compass and even the words acquisition target, <laughs> you know, wor words mean things. Um, but look, at some point, because we have brought in private equity money, because Compass Diversified is a private equity partner. We will at some point have a full on acquisition wherein we partner with somebody and we find a home for Honeypot, right? That could be the Kimberly Clarks of the world or the Essities of the world or the wh whomever of the world, right? When you think about the big conglomerates. Because of the nature of the type of money that we've taken in, yeah, even before Compass, we would have had to have found a partner at some point. And actually, very grateful to say that that is Compass. But yeah, I mean, that's the goal. You know, when, when you when you raise money, those investors need to make their money back. Right. And that's how they do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You have to find a partner that can get them back the return that they were looking for or they set out for when you brought in the investment. Right. Because with venture capital and private equity, they may say to you, we need a 4x return within four years. And those are in the rules of engagement when you go into that partnership, right? There's really not any way around that. <laughs> you have to make that jump at some point. It's either you get acquired fully or you IPO. But either way, something has to happen because anytime somebody invests in your company, they have a minimum return on investment that they're looking for. It's so funny to hear you say that too, because you'd think that's such an obvious concept because that's how investing works. Like they put money in expecting to get, right. they don't just want the same money to come out. But looking across the venture and startup ecosystem now, it's like that clearly wasn't front of mind, top of mind for a lot of companies out there. So it's always fun to talk to founders who say something where you're like, in theory, this should be obvious, but it's not. And it's very clearly not. Well, you know what it is, Becca? It's really hard to do. 
you could have the most impressive economics. You could be growing at an astounding rate. You can be extremely profitable, but it is really, 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 really hard to go through a process of finding a partner that either is like a private equity partner, wherein you know you can partner with them and they can kind of buy out all of the previous investors, or you can find a partner that says, I'm going to buy the whole entire business, right? And that's kind of that conglomerate type of a partnership. Or you can say, let's just put this thing up on the stock market and let's make it, let's make it into a public company. But like out of those three, this is almost impossible to do. So part of the reason why people don't go around talking about it is because it just doesn't happen every day. Right. But anybody that's raising venture capital money or private equity money, they are going to have to have some type of an event because how else will those investors or their LPs get a return on their investment? There's really not any way around it. I think it's more that people just don't talk about it. But the cool thing is that we are having these conversations now and it is more common practice for people to have these conversations and to understand what these types of situations mean, you know, but like, yeah, it's honestly just business. Nothing about what Honeypot just did or what any company in our position would do in this type of an arena. Nothing about it is abnormal. Everything about it makes sense. And all that we're doing is what businesses do. And that's what we are. When it came to, I guess, eventually partnering with Compass, what was the most important things that you looked for when looking for a partner? The most important things when looking for a partner is finding a partner who would respect our business, who would respect our team, who would respect our leadership team. Finding a partner that wanted to invest in our vision was really important to us. And not only our vision, but into serving our customers because Our customers are very special humans. They're very tapped in. They know what they want. They know how they want to be served. They pay attention to their body. They look at ingredient decks like they like they were tapped in. We change a fucking letter on the bottle and they're like, why did that letter change? Right. Like this is this change. And that's a really beautiful thing. And that type of a community has to really be loved and cared for and respected and honored. And so whomever we partnered with. It was really important that they understood all of these dynamics. It was very important to me. Obviously, we do all the things that everybody does when you're going through a process like this. But like my gut was in overtime because my gut needed to connect to it because my business, Honeypot has a soul, man. Like it, it was gifted from the ancestors. And I know that shit sounds really esoteric, whether you believe in that or not. I'm telling you, I was there. It was gifted. And so... When you're selling a majority stake in your business, you have to be really conscientious of who you're doing that with. Because, I mean, look, call the spade what it it is. I haven't been a majority owner in Honeypot for a long time, but I am a major minority owner in this business, right? And I've been lucky to be able to make sure that paperwork is written up properly and to make sure that we have say-so and to make sure that we're on the board and to make sure that we own the big decisions and all that kind of stuff. So these are all things that are extremely important too. But I think the biggest thing was just making sure that they were a partner that could hold the responsibility of what Honeypot is. We're not just a brand that makes cool products and sells them in mass market retailers. We're all of that and we 
really, really love the people that we serve and we really respect them and we really honor them and we we serve them a lot of education and, you know, we're learning from them at the same time and we're very devoted to our team. And those are the humans that make all this stuff happen every day. So them making sure that this team is taken care of and respected and honored and loved and can share in the equity and all the things These are all things that are really important that you're not going to just find in your average private equity firm. You know what I'm saying? And so the fact that Cody, they call it Cody for short, the fact that Cody has all of these things in their DNA, you know, when you go in their office, like they've got like like a massage room, they have a fitness gym, Mm. they have somebody that comes and cooks because they care about their people. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm transparency, their commitment to diversity, their commitment to sustainability. Like there's so many dope things about this company and this group of humans that's just so beautiful. And it was very much in alignment with who we are because we believe in a lot of those things too. And so trust me, it was way, 90% of it was that (laughs) because we, we walked away from some much bigger numbers Because it wasn't just about the numbers. It was about what happens after the transaction happens. That's where the mad, that's the shit you got to be worried about is what's going to happen when this is done, when the papers are signed, when the wires are sent. What happens when we're doing business with each other? And that was the thing that we were the most thoughtful and worried about because it's, it's such a big deal. It's a really big deal. And you brought up something that I've actually have always kind of wanted to ask you this because I remember a few years ago, Honeypot did or was alleged to have changed an ingredient. And I remember being on Twitter and it seemed like everyone was having a meltdown over something yeah. or like, you know, did she change it? Did like what happened? What happened? And I think that you closed the Instagram account or you went private for a little bit or something like that. And I remember just people were talking about it. I've always wanted to ask, What was that experience like seeing consumer reaction like that? And what was the behind the scenes of, you know, navigating that experience? It was hard. It was hard because we are so devoted to our customers and we're so devoted to our ingredients and the way that we formulate and the way, you know, just the way that we test clinically test everything. And part of that was we didn't communicate properly that we were going to make a change. And there was a bunch of stuff going on, but that is what it is. We fell on our sword for that, right? The other part of it was companies make mistakes, things happen, but the reaction and the reaction of the people, you're not in control of that, (laughs) you know? So, and who am I to tell somebody how to feel or how to react? But just the way that that it came, it was hard. It was very hard. In a lot of instances, there was a lot of unkind words and a lot of unkind posts and, and videos and things like that. But these things happen. But it, it it was difficult, but it made us better and it made us stronger. And it also, the beauty in it, even though it was a hard time, the interesting thing was that we learned that our customers are paying attention. The people that use our brand, the people that are like loyal to Honeypot, they are paying attention. And we do have a very deep connected relationship. I think the biggest thing that we learned from it was that transparency is key as it relates to everything that we do. And I think that even though it was hard, it just made us better. It made us stronger. It made our relationship to our customer better and stronger. Some people, some of our customers or some humans 
may have decided that they were going to go away. Some people were like, said they were going to go away and then learned that a lot of the things that were being said weren't true. And then they came back. Some people sent notes. I Sometimes I see people on the street and they, you know, they tell me their sentiment. It was hard and it was beautiful and it was challenging and it was, it was a lot of things. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't remember us. I, I think at one point we might have turned comments off just because some of the comments that we were getting were really, 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 really tough. I mean, I feel like my team told me somebody sent like a death threat. Like it, it was it was wild, you know? Yeah, it was crazy. But again, like, what are you going to do? We made the decision because it's easy to type something like that, but they don't, I don't think that people always realize that there's a human on the other side that's reading that right. and that's consuming that. And so our thing was, is, you know what, let's take care of, let's take care of this. Let's just shut down comments for now. We kept them open for a while. And then it just helped us to kind of ground ourselves and get it back together. But personally, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It took me a little while to get over that. And honestly, it took the team a while to get over it because the trauma behind that was really real. But I, I, w- I wouldn't change it for the world. It's important to go through things like that as a business because it's, it's real life. It teaches you things and you learn from it and you grow from it. And, and honestly, it makes you stronger because, you know, I think coming out of that, we learn so much about what our protocol needs to be in a crisis type of a moment where, where it seems like the world's going to cave in. <laughs> but, but it all really ends up being fine at the end of the day, you know, everything's always going to be all right. And you're, you're going to be able to please some people and others you won't. And, and you know what? And if, if you can't, you can't. What can you do? It's people's choice. However they want to say, however they want to react, whatever they want to do, we're not in control of that. The only thing that we're in control of is what we do and how we respond to it. But yeah, that was an interesting time. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> I thought that was great. Thank you. And great advice for the founders to listen to the show, too. But I think we unfortunately just have one time for one last question. And I definitely wanted to ask you, you started this company. You had this dream. You talked to your grandmother. You decided to try this remedy on yourself. It worked. And now you're at the point where you're, you know, partnering with these big private equity funds. You're in Target. It's come so far from something that came to you in a dream. And how has it felt for you personally to kind of see this all play out and grow into what it is today? It feels good. But sister, we've worked for it. This is what all the work is for. This is this is what the blood, sweat and tears are for. This is what, you know, the question that Dom just asked, this is what this is for. You know, you you're not going to get to any level of growth without your own set of problems. And, you know, but people always ask me, did you ever think that you would be here? My answer is always yes. Like, yeah, we manifested the shit out of this. You know what I'm saying? Like, not only did we manifest it, but we earned it. We worked for it and we will continue to work for it. Like for me, there is no, you know, people always talk about levels and I don't really see things as levels. I I, I think that I don't really see there being a destination because this is my life's work. Even when I'm like a cajillionaire and Honeypot has found a final home, like I still want to be doing this. Like I don't want to walk away. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't want to be retired at my house just in my garden. I want to do that too. But like I really like what I do. I really enjoy this work. I love innovating. I love 
the people that we serve. I love the team that we work with. Like, I love this shit. You know what I'm saying? And and I truly believe that excellence is just homeostasis for us. Like, if we're not all striving to be excellent in business, what are we doing? If we're not trying to be the best, if we're not trying to be the most profitable, if we're not trying to make the best, most amazing products and help people understand why these products are even here or why they need to use them or whatever the situation is, whatever the example is, in my, and this is just in my opinion, nothing about our success is a surprise to me. I knock on wood, you know, because just as quick as things can come is as quick as they can go. So, you know, I really pray that we can just continue to grow and become more and more, grow bigger and grow into more markets globally and do all that. But like, this is what we're here to do. We're, we're, we're here to be the best as possible as we can be. All the levels of success are going to require the same amount of excellence. And I think we're deeply committed to that. And for us, there's nothing special about that. We're just doing what we're supposed to do. If you're going to make products for people to consume, they should be the most beautiful, the most efficacious, the cleanest possible. We make products that people use in their vagina, on their vulva, close to their vagina, right? Like we, we make, we're going into skincare this year. People are using that on their body. When your pores open, that gets into your bloodstream. Like there is a lot of responsibility that comes with the kind of work that we do. And you cannot do that. I don't think that that's something to take lightly. And so, yeah, I, but we, we've worked for it and we, we've earned it and we'll continue to earn it. Well, perfect. Thank you. Unfortunately, we have to wrap there. So thank you so much for coming on the show, though. This has been super fun. We're so glad you came on. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. And that was our conversation with B. Dom, what did you think? Oh, actually, well, first, let's start with what was the lie? Yes. Okay. If you were listening carefully, you would know that the lie was that Beatrice kept her full job until the honeypot was picked up by Whole Foods. That was a lie because she actually kept her full-time job until the honeypot was picked up by Target. We were just being a little tricky on our end with that one. But otherwise, Dom, what did you think? I loved her vibe and her energy. And I feel like I could talk to her all day or just like listen to her speak all day about the honeypot, about the wellness market. It was really interesting also to talk to the founder of a brand that is, at least like on Black Twitter, the honeypot is a really, really, really big brand. And so it was really cool to kind of, I guess, talk to her and just learn more about the face behind this big brand. And I know for me, and I mean, you probably come across this too, there's all these kind of like stereotypes about what entrepreneurs are like or like how they talk and how they approach things. And she just, like you said, just had like such a better vibe than a lot of the people, not to say a lot of the people we talk to here, but like you do come across, there's jokes about it. People make jokes about it on Twitter, like how certain startup founders are just like, aggressive and cold and will do anything. And B wasn't like she wasn't trying to do anything. She kept working full time. She mentioned giving the products for free when she would do her buyer meetings just as a way to like grassroots get it out there. But she just came without the same coldness that that usually comes with. It's always good to just have like another real life example of just being like, it just doesn't always have to be the same way, which is good. Yeah. 
I mean, when she was talking about how her grandmother came to her in a dream, I definitely felt like the spiritualness when she was talking. I was like, oh my gosh, there's something, there's just something here. And the honeypot, it was funny because I kept thinking about if she didn't bootstrap the company in the very beginning. Can you imagine her pitching this to investors, what they would have said? Oh my God, I don't even want to know. Investors, anything in this category, they like just like don't seem to understand for some reason, despite like, even if you don't use it yourself, just like Google how much like Playtex or something makes a year and then you'll like very clearly see the business opportunity. But it is good that I think they did wait and were able to bootstrap. I mean, companies who are able to bootstrap, that says everything about the company and the product to begin with. It's such like a big market. Like me and my friends, I remember a conversation we were having about how we met this European and they were like, oh, we don't like using your, you know, pads and everything over in the U.S. because you guys have poison in them. And I was like, we probably do. I don't know. But then I started thinking about, oh, my gosh, like, I really don't know what's in a lot of these products that we use for wellness for, you know, during our menstrual cycles. And maybe we are just absorbing a bunch of toxins. But at the same time, I mean, I still use, you know, like stuff from, I don't know. It was good that the honeypot exists because I definitely think that People are becoming a lot more conscious of what is being absorbed in their bodies, even with clean skincare. Like all of this stuff, all of these toxic stuff is our body, our skins is just absorbing it. And what impact is that going to have on us in the future? And so this was definitely such a market to hit. And I'm glad someone hit it. No, and it's so interesting, too, because it's good to see this brand like have this approach obviously from the beginning and then the brand got popular. Whereas like, I mean, I know you've probably seen all this stuff about like those Stanley water tumblers just blew up and then everyone was like, oop, there's lead lead in them. And it's just like, uh, sucks that that's now as popular as it is. Like middle schoolers are using them. And so it's just like, it's always refreshing to see brands be like, nope, we're making it right before we scale. So we don't have those issues later and we never have them to begin with. And it's even more intense just even thinking about it because even as like a black woman all the relaxers that we've been using since we were kids I mean all the studies are now coming out that all those things give us cancer and they all those things also mess with our reproductive health and so especially for black women which is probably why this brand is also really big among black women on black twitter as you see I'm kind of in a bubble um it's just this that's probably another reason because I don't know who's in charge of the ingredients that goes into our products, but it definitely seems like they do not care as much as the EU does. No, for sure. And for sure. And even trends in the U.S., I mean, not just relevant to beauty care and stuff like that, but what you just mentioned with the hair relaxers, there's definitely a perception that like the clean movement is like the goop Gwyneth Paltrow, like white woman movement, but like it's not. Like everyone wants cleaner products. So it's like nice to see like some diversification in the kind of brands and like the target areas people are going after too. Yeah. And I was also really happy to talk to her about that massive scandal that hit Twitter. Well, I mean, it felt massive at the time. Yeah. I had totally forgotten about that until you brought that up. And then I was like, oh yeah, I remember seeing about something about that on Instagram. I've been wanting to ask that question for two years because everyone was so mad at her and so mad at the company because I, I think there's also this fear. Like when we have a lot of Black companies that gets bought out or start working with, you know, non-Black corporations, there's always that fear that the ingredients are going to change and it's no longer going to work for us. And I do think that 
when I guess some of the ingredients did shift or maybe she just changed the labeling or something. That backlash was so swift and intense, but it also showed that consumers were paying attention. Right. And it has this massive loyal fan base, people who just really, really care. I like how she answered it, too, where it was kind of like, this is just what happens. Like, you have to learn from it. You have to grow from it. And like you were just saying with the people are paying attention, I think she said that was like one of her biggest takeaways from it. And obviously messing up and becoming the main character on like a Twitter channel is not fun. But that really does show that you have loyalty of the brand, which for consumers is huge. Because sometimes, I mean, like I swear, like every time I buy shampoo for the last year, I think I've bought in a different brand every time I bought it. Oh my goodness. But it's like if people are like, I'm trying to find one that I like. I don't want to do this forever. But like <laughs> if people are like that mad, if you're changing like the labeling on your package, they're paying attention that closely. Like that's like a gold mine for a consumer company. Like you want people to be scrutinizing you in that way because it shows how much they care and how much they're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, we are tired of being poisoned. Um, so I Fair mean, enough. <laughs> <laughs> that is my stance. I've been trying to think of like a corporation to blame so I can put like big industry behind right. this. Or I feel like I do that every episode. Big poison industry. <laughs> We're tired of you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know which one this would be. Wait, we might have it. The big vagina wellness industry. Oh, my God. There it is. That, imagine pitching that to investors. Oh, yeah. The total addressable market. I could see that on a slide. The big vagina wellness industry. They would be like, um, I think I double booked this meeting. I gotta go. <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Becca Skutak, alongside senior reporter Dominic Midori Davis. Found is produced by Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel. Our illustrator is Bryce Durbin. Found's audience development and social media is managed by Morgan Little, Alyssa Stringer, and Natalie Kreisman. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> 